0: This is Camp Hacker. Come find our show notes and our blog for camp directors and leaders at camphacker.tv. Good day and welcome to our podcast. This is Camp Hacker, episode 95, recorded on the 16th of November, 2016. On today's show, budgets and pricing for camps. If you would like easy, automatic, free updates of our podcast, you can subscribe in iTunes or use the free Stitcher app. Please note, we've had some trouble with our podcast feed lately, and you might have missed some episodes downloading to your phone. With this episode, we've set things back up all properly, and you should see all the episodes from 92 through to 95. If not, check our show on your podcast app, and you can manually download the missing shows. This week's Camp Hacker Podcast is sponsored by GoCamp Pro. GoCamp Pro is a year-round online camp conference for the true Summer Camp Mavericks, the camp pros who can't stand it when people say, but that's not how we do it around here. GoCamp Pro is a community of year-round summer camp staffers who empower each other to make the big changes that camp needs so our campers and staff will go and change the world. To try it free for one week, go to www.gocamp.pro. And... This week's Camp Hacker Podcast is sponsored in part by camp pros like you who support the show on Patreon. We want to thank those patrons who have been supporting the show from the beginning and without fail. David G, Andy L, Marie W, Teresa ML, Lisa Summer Fun, Anne J, Jack and Laura, and Mark P. If you've got even one good idea from the Camp Hacker Podcast, you can show your support for the show for as little as $1 per episode. We've got some great rewards too, just like a Kickstarter campaign. Please go to... P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Camp We hope you enjoy the Camp Hacker Show.
1: Hello, Camp Pros, and welcome to the Camp Hacker Podcast. My name is Travis Allison. I am a founder of Go Camp Pro and the starter
2: of this podcast, along with my friend Joe. Hey Joe. Hey Travis, I'm Joe Richards. I am the executive director at Pierce Williams Christian Center, which is a United Church of Canada summer camp and retreat facility located in Ontario. Uh, which is halfway between Detroit and Toronto.
3: I'm Jonathan, uh, one of the executive directors at Camp Kintel. We're a Presbyterian not-for-profit church camp located north of Goderich on the sandy shores of Lake Huron.
1: Welcome back, Jonathan. Hey, Sarah. Thanks.
4: Hi, guys. Uh, my name is Sarah Kurtz-McKinnon. I'm a camp consultant and trainer based out of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh, my business is called Kurtz-McKinnon Creative, and I'm also a partner at Go camp Pro.
1: Awesome. Well, I'm excited to welcome this panel back and to, uh, um, to share some good stuff today on the business side of camp. Uh, if you're listening to this or watching this on YouTube, mm-hmm. this is your first introduction. We encourage you to go back a couple of episodes ago and, uh, and check out our business discussion from a couple episodes ago. Mm-hmm. That one's called The Business of Camp. Um, we have a number of things that we want to talk about today, depending on the time we have. Uh, to begin with, though, we thought what we'd do is open up with the concept of, of a budget. And um, it is the time of the year, we're now recording this late fall 2016, um, is the time of year that many camps are in the budget process or just finishing the budget process or about to begin the budget process. Um, so uh, we, we thought we'd start with... With that and and open things up from there and um, Jonathan, I'm wondering for you with uh, with your background in in banking and and business management um, If you feel that You come to, to the camp organization with a different um, Philosophy or different style of budgeting than some other camps
3: Yeah, that's probably a bit true Travis um, when I when I did financial consulting at the bank, um, every business that I dealt with had a budget. Um, some of them better than others, some very detailed and, and thought through, some done by professional consultants and some just handwritten that they'd written out and then we would flush it out. But but it's a, it was the starting point of the conversation almost every time um, for their business plan or where they would proceed. And I think um, I think because of that, that's why I think I think the budget is one of the most important things that we should have. And I always had kind of worked under the assumption that it's something camps did and had not spent a lot of time on because we we spend a decent amount of time considering our budget and then and then I track through the year year to date results so I can know where where we're coming on our budget. But I think. I suspect it's something that maybe some camps haven't put as much thought into, but I, I do think it's important. I was thinking this after some of our our um, when we were talking about what to discuss here. Then um, this is maybe a question for Sarah to comment on too. But when when I, when doing our the MBA, um, the thing that is drilled into us for businesses and my my MBA had a focus on not for profit business um, for me. But that wasn't the focus of everyone else in my MBA. It was just what I did my thesis on. Yeah. Um, they, you're drilled that every, every business exists to make a return on investment for their shareholders. Like yep. that's the, whole, the <laughs> whole reason, the whole reason that every, the businesses exist in our society is return on investment. And everything that you should do should focus on the return. So therefore you make a budget and you try you estimate our goal is we're going to make a eight percent return on revenue and you you work to to best that right we see that all the time with the stock market people expect a company's gonna make a certain return and then they try to best it so that their share price goes up so that they they're essentially their their company is worth more and they're making more money i think there's something there for camps whether we're not for profit or private i don't, I don't think, think it matters i think camps should, should want to know Camps should, should have a goal a return on their investment, a return on revenue, um, even for a not-for-profit. If the goal is to break even, um, then that, then you have a goal, and you have to have a budget, and then you have to work towards that goal, and, and that goal should include you're putting money back into your business. Like, almost every business included in their return is their depreciation, and then they're putting money back in to offset that depreciation or invest. So that's, that's a long story, but I think that's why the budget is, is important, that we, we think about it, and so we work towards managing to meet our goals.
1: Right. So Jonathan, you, you talked about, and again, I'd ask people to go check out the previous show where you talked about um, how well you track things in, in spreadsheets along the way, but the, pardon me, the annual budgeting process, how long does that take for you folks at Kintail?
3: The specific process doesn't take very long at all because we take we're working, but we're working on it kind of consistently. Like we we're always working one to two years ahead, mm-hmm. um, kind of ongoing. We have the we have the budget spreadsheet, and we're kind of plugging numbers in based on on a few different factors of where we're going and where we're heading. I, um, I think you know we've this. Well, already, we we really do our budget. We kind of finalize it in the summer, and then we continue to make little adjustments. But we set all our prices um, in the summer so that our brochure and website can be updated for registrations coming in now for next year. So we have to decide, we have to set revenue goals, so we have to decide what our increases are gonna be. But we've kind of given ourselves some general guidelines around that so that every year we're using guidelines to help with those decisions. Um, and I'll give you a specific example of what I mean. Every year we increase our camper fee, but we try to do incremental increases so that we're not, we're not keeping our fee the same for three years and then doing a large increase. We're, we're trying to do an increase between $5 and $20 every year. But there's also there's factors we consider in there that might lead like that's our general philosophy that we adapted mm-hmm. but then there's some some year we're, we're always we've always raised it by five dollars, but sometimes we've done larger increases if if expenses are going up or we've set a goal to raise um, staff salaries or we see significant food cost increase or or we've done some large capital improvement that that warrants there's more value at the camp and so yeah. it can justify a price increase and then we're, we're also always looking at what some competitors in our area and what some similar camps in other areas charge so that we can know that. Right. Um, and that's just on the summer camp revenue I mean it's kind of we do similar thing for, for retreat revenue and school revenue and and other revenues but knowing those revenues Getting an idea of those revenues means then we can, then we can work on what we're going to spend as well, right? Set some expense goals.
1: Right. Sarah, what for you is some of the most important things to consider when thinking about budgeting for the next year?
4: Um, Yeah, so I think budgeting at first, like my first year, it was like a really overwhelming prospect. I Mm hadn't really written a budget before, and. Um, I thought it was going to be like all about kind of like hardcore numbers and like calculations. And like there's certainly a, a lot of calculations that you have to do, and number crunching. Um, but really I think of the budget as like a, a planning process for the right. upcoming year. So um, it's a really nice way to think about a lot of things. So I think, it yes, it is about numbers, but there's a lot more stuff that you have to um, – sort through and like some of it is just like philosophical like you know as was mentioned before how much are we going to pay our staff you know is there initiative to pay the staff a little bit more and so you're really um, faced with answering some of these bigger philosophical questions and then also some of these smaller questions at the same time um, and so I found it like a very useful exercise in mapping out not just my philosophies for the upcoming year Um, but when and how I was going to execute the things I said I was going to do. So, um, I think approaching the budget like that is a really nice way to think about it. Um, so, um, and with budgeting, like sometimes you feel like you're writing it in isolation, um, but it's really important to review it with people, even if you are the executive director, um, with some trusted board members while it's still in draft form, um, with another fellow executive director just like hey does this check out for you for like gasoline expenditures like what are you putting at you know for your your estimated cost for this year because there's a lot of things where you're making a lot of assumptions and so the more people you have putting input into those assumptions the more accurate they're going to be
1: right what's the process like at pierce williams joe
2: The process for the budget, really, uh, what it used to be and what it is now are two different things. It Mm -hmm. used to be that I would, um, I always draft the budget myself. At first, I go over as close to the end of year as possible so I know what our our costs are for that year. And I I try to match those across and just bring a a new budget in. And we used to have a budget committee that was part of our finance. We haven't for a little while, but it, it goes to the board in January, February. And then is approved for our March AGM, and and essentially all the same things that um, that are looked at. We we're just trying to make sure that we break even as a nonprofit. Um, right. And there's a couple of things that that Jonathan mentioned where we don't break even, which is we don't we don't build we have not built our amortization into our budget. So for those who aren't budget savvy, essentially we're paying down. We're amortizing our buildings um, that we've owned for 60 years, and um, just due to rules in Canada, we had to a few years ago put those on our in our budget lines now. And so we're paying fifty to seventy thousand dollars every year on paper to amateurize those buildings. And in theory, I should be making fifty to seventy thousand in in real cash to put back into those buildings for maintenance and upkeep. So that over the course of the next twenty to thirty years, all of our buildings would have would be kept up um, right. moving forward. And so right now, we it looks like on paper that we take a loss of that fifty to seventy thousand dollars every year, but really it's buildings we own, so it's not a, a true loss of cash. Um, but we're our board is currently correcting that. And so we talk a lot right now about budgets and and our camp pricing. Um, we have not been doing pricing correctly um as a as a ministry a lot of united church camps in canada have kept their rates artificially low just to to make sure that camp stays affordable to campers but the challenge that that has led to is that now you have a whole bunch of camps with low prices and not enough money to invest in the infrastructure or in the staffing or and and so you're starting to get a lot of um, challenges um, in in those areas. So we're we're slowly correcting those things. And uh, by slowly, I mean like this year we have a fifty or a sixty dollar increase in our camp fees. So it's a big jump. Yep. Um, but uh, these things happen. Great. <laughs> and, All right. Um, we're hoping that it'll be fine. And part of that is due to trying to look forward into the future and see where changes, um, what's changing around you. So for us, our our church, our organization that we are affiliated with is um, is changing, and so we might lose some money that we get from them every year. And, and we're looking at, annu- you know, we've never done an annual campaign before for our budget to make up for the difference between cost of camp and actual um, the cost of what we take in for camp and the actual cost of camp. So budgeting for us is, is trying to play with those numbers and, and, and make, it, um, make it every year. One of the things that I remember um, an old finance committee member say is that the budget is not carved in stone. It's a living and working document. So that really helps when you have an emergency and you need to spend money. Right. rather than a board member saying well we can't buy a new fridge because it's not in the budget and you saying but we need a new fridge because rental groups are coming in three yeah. days yeah Right. so um, it's uh, <laughs> it, that has really helped us um, over the years that to understand that the um, that the budget is a moving mm-hmm. and living document that we can work with and and go to
1: right all right so there's some interesting stuff about pricing that I want to come back to, but um, I wonder, Jonathan or Sarah, either one of you, are welcome to to jump in. I wonder if there is um, if, if there's stuff you had to learn to do to be better at budgeting. If there's stuff that that I mean, maybe it's like the budget's a living document that um, gave you some clarity on this process yeah. when you're doing it.
3: I'll will suggest something first, Travis. Yeah. Um, I I think if people want to either check their existing budget or they just want to work on a on a budget, I think a good starting point is you want to look for what your trends are, and the easy way to do that it, it should be minimum of three years actual history. Uh, five is ideal. I really yep. think if you if you take your last five years of of data, I mean. Put it. Do whatever you want with it. But it, put the last five years in a spreadsheet, and and figure out what the average is for each one, uh, for 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 especially the major expense items. So you figure out what your average was for five years, but also look for trends. Um, you know, see if if electricity is increasing, um, you know, eight percent every year. Yep. Then oh, for every year for five years, well, then then it's pretty easy to say, okay, that's increasing this much every year. I'm going to increase that this much this year. And the the num the thing with numbers is they never lie. They they really like it's 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 there for you. But if you just take five years and and look at that and look at the average, but also look at the trend, um, you know, and especially with the major expenses like food. Food costs for all of us, um, after personnel, food is probably yep. um, the second the biggest cost. Yeah. And I don't think people need to drill down to, I, I really don't think, like what Sarah said, it's kind of, you have this document and you, you work with it. Uh, I'm not a big believer in knowing the exact cost per camper, but I think if you look back five years and see that you spent $100,000 on food, and then the next year you spent um, 95000 and, and you compare it with your camper numbers I think you know you go okay our numbers were consistent then we had a 20 percent increase in campers and our food costs went up 20 percent to hundred and twenty thousand mm-hmm. you go okay that that correlates and that's reasonable and here we are today and our, our camper numbers are up 25 percent from five years ago and our food cost is up 30 percent okay that's reasonable our numbers are up we're feeding more people and And food cost goes up every single year. There is no doubt, uh, over the last couple years, food cost has probably been one of the biggest increases for camps because food's gone up. So then you can safely... So for for an item like food, I don't think you should ever carry over the exact same budget. If you're expecting the same amount of people or slightly more, then you're always going to budget slightly more for food. And if you don't, I think you're handcuffing your kitchen into if you give them the same budget, but say we're I know food cost has gone up and we're expecting to feed the same amount or slightly more people, then you're gonna have a lower quality food. Yep. So so that's the thought process I would take is I would try to think it through. If I if I don't increase this item, how does it handcuff my staff? Or is or is there a way that I can have savings that don't impact the quality of the camp? And you can go down through your items and that's what I meant by you kind of work on it ongoing because Exactly like Joe said, you need to talk to your kitchen manager and also find out information on that, and then that correlates into that topic. And I don't think people need to get worried about exact numbers and exact ratios for the budget. just general. like if if your actual last year was a hundred and twenty one thousand nine hundred on food and you and you think you want to just put it up a few percent, then you round your budget up to one hundred and twenty five thousand and that's your budget. You don't have to worry. I think sometimes people get scared about it because they worry about getting very precise, exact numbers, but
1: they're right, right, right.
3: not necessary.
1: Yeah,
4: yeah, um, yeah. It, building on all that, I feel like yes, your budget is a living document, and you have to have like a certain amount of flexibility, and um, you also don't want to spend too much time on it too. I mean, you can calculate how much every breakfast cost for every eight year old versus 16 year old. But you have to determine like, is that worth my time, you know, figuring out those, those, the minutia. Um, so I, I take a similar approach to the one Jonathan describes. Um, I think one thing though, that I started doing more. So as I got more experience is trying to make my assumptions as accurate as possible. Mm-hmm. And that really, really helped in my budgeting. So, um, that's like doing a lot of legwork in September and October and November, like getting quotes from people like, hey, we're looking to do this. Can you quote me out the floor refinishing in the dining hall for next May? You know, and getting your three quotes, locking in a contractor and budgeting for it all at the same time, like really helps. Um, also with some of those just small things, like if you don't get accurate quotes or make accurate assumptions, they do add up. So you're bringing in your climbing climbing wall trainer. Um, last year he cost $800. So do we just put $800 in or do we call and see what their prices are for next year? Like I say, make the call if you can and you can spend an extra time because that accuracy will really pay off. Um, one thing that I talk about a lot that Pam, our CFO at the Ann Arbor Y explained to me once, she says she thinks a lot of times at nonprofit organizations, we use pinch pennies, not pounds. Right. Um, so in that instance, Pam saw me, the director, and my registrar standing at the photocopier for like eight hours, scanning and making copies of every single camper's health form. One day, we like only made a little dent in it, and Pam's like, "Why are you doing that?" Um, we're like, "Well, it's like essentially free. Like this is how we can reference them." And she's like, "That's stupid. Like don't do that." Um, and that whole conversation led us to getting CampMinder. Um, which is what we chose, you know, was a a little more money up front um, but saves us so much money on the back end when you think about um, people hours and paper and um, just like the opportunity cost of not doing it is really high. So it's interesting to think about when our times at camp that we're trying to like cut corners to like save a few pennies but in reality if we spent like a little more money up front we would be better off. Um, So I think that's something that I'd like to think about when thinking about the budget. Um, and the third thing I wrote down here when I was thinking um, that I really appreciated was that the Ann Arbor Y we did a capital repair and replacement plan, and it's a lot easier when you have like a newer facility and you know what things are, you know, dated and how long they're supposed to last. But we had like, you know, a forty-year-old used ice maker and like, you know, buildings and septic and all this stuff. So. Anything over $500, um, we had a group of consultants come in and track how long they think it would last, looking at its condition, and then give us a price estimate at that point, um, five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road, of how much money it would be. And so that real systematic process prevented us from having a lot of surprises. And so we knew, okay, like 2016 is coming up. We're going to need to replace the ovens. It's already planned for, and it's not one of those like, oh my gosh, the oven's broke you know, now we have to drop $10,000 on new commercial ovens. So right. the capital repair and replacement plan cost money in the beginning, but I think it is going to pay off, you know, throughout the next 20 or 30 years. And then we add to that, you know, as we buy new things. So that was something that we did there.
1: Yeah. And, um, if people are interested, I, this is just a free spreadsheet. It, it takes a lot of work to fill it out there, but you can sort of see where it goes. I, I, it's on camp Hacker. I'll put that in show notes. I'll put the thing in the show notes or I'll get Matt to put it in the show notes. Uh, it's called the life cycle plan. And it's just a spreadsheet of here's buildings. Here's when it's built. Here's how long it should last. Here's how much it would cost us per square foot to replace this. Um, and um, we didn't do it with a consultant and we didn't get down to, we, we didn't do enough of the machinery kind of things like ovens, uh, but yeah. it was just for buildings for, um, for one year for some capital planning we did. Yeah. so that's you're welcome to take that that's, that's it's a good easy. starting spot it's not it's not there so check that out we'll get matt to and put on that the in other, notes.
2: on the go other Joe. side of that you can go you can go with a full site audit which is a mm. great way to plan your future budgetary needs and at least know what you're getting into yeah. so we applied for a grant this would be in 2009 we applied for a grant and got a A thirty thousand dollar grant to do a site audit. Now it's probably going to be more than that. We probably should have paid a bit more, um, but a board member was at the architecture firm, and and essentially you're, you're hiring an architecture firm or to to contract out, you know, septic engineers and pool engineers and structural engineers and people to come in and look at all of your buildings and say this is where, you know, so this building is where. Uh, this is where it's at. This is the date it's built. This is the size they gave. The, I can't stress enough that a site audit, it, it arrived in two binders. And people's biggest fear is that when reports like that arrive in a binder, that that binder sits on a shelf and is Good never shelf, used. Yeah. I yeah. honestly use it almost at least once a week for the past seven years. I have it digitally, and I have it... Um, This morning, I had an insurance meeting, and she said, well, I need the the layout of the buildings with the square footage. And I said, oh, well, I went and got the binder, and I said, so you need this section of the binder. She's like, yes, and do you know what they're built of? And I said, oh, well, that would be back in this section of the binder. And it's easy enough for me to take those digitally and just email them off to the insurance company. The other great thing it did is when we needed to do new fire exit plans for our fire safety stuff, we could just use those floor plans that the architecture firm had put in digitally and and modify those for that
1: um and one of the things that you brought up for me Sarah, in terms of budgeting so so two thoughts that have come up for me that are pretty short budgeting is not my favorite topic which is why i bring folks on like you folks um if you, if you don't increase, increase your prices regularly, then you're losing money off the bat just by inflation. Because it's not just right. food prices that change. It's everything prices change. And there's a number that the governments spend money to create for us that we can just say we have to increase. Just to keep our expenses the same, we have to increase our income by this much just to cover that additional expenses. Jonathan, I wanted to ask, you're talking about raising a price by $5. Is that per day or per week? five to twenty dollars you said
3: i was talking on a per week basis for per us. week
1: okay okay that was yeah i just didn't i wasn't quite sure um okay. so right. would, uh, you would you always raise it five bucks and you might raise it as much as 20 per week
2: um, right,
3: travis the cost of inflation is a really good guideline like if hmm. the government comes out and says the cost of inflation was two percent then if you take two percent that's a good guideline as well
1: yeah yeah.
4: yeah, and and Travis, as you said, is it per week or per day? I think per week um, comparisons with other camps and looking at your camp per week is really misleading because some camp weeks are five days and some are eight. Yeah, uh, fair. And so I think looking at it per day is like a great way to just be apples yeah. to apples across the board with everything. Right. Um, I, agree, I
3: agree totally with Sarah. That's why my long pause when you ask me per day or week because and I, and I preface it saying for us, Yes. That's what we're doing. Gotcha. But, uh, I totally agree with Sarah. If you're talking, if you want to compare stuff with another camp, she's I hundred percent agree because it takes the differentiation away between a six day camp and a five day camp.
4: Right.
1: Right. Was there more you're going to say about that, Sarah? Nope. Okay. Um, Oh, Sarah was talking about staffing budgeting and, and you know, how that relates and, and the changes and you have to account if you want to uh, increase some in programs or decrease some programs, etc. But in staffing budgeting in general, as camps, and this is a bit of a soapbox for me, but um, so long time listeners will have heard me say this many times, that we don't have an appreciation for, we always undervalue our staff in terms of the commitment that they have and the money we pay them but we don't we don't take into account in our budgeting the value of our staff we're lucky because staffing's pretty cheap for summer camps in some areas it's a lot cheaper than others in some organizations it's a lot cheaper than others but for the amount of hours that people put in staffing's quite cheap but um one of the things that always frustrates me and it's not a dollar thing well it's a it's a, a piece of knowledge that i think you have it comes back to the photocopier um that you have to understand how much one hour of your time as the director, one hour of each of your year-round staff members, what you're paying them per hour, what that value is. Because if if they're, you know, you're paying someone forty-five dollars an hour to make photocopies, that's an incredibly bad use of resources. Um, and forty-five dollars might be way too much for some people, but some yeah, people will I be in the, the right range.
4: That. <laughs> What's that? I wasn't making that. No, no, I know. But still,
1: it's. I mean, even if you're making 25 or $30 an hour, it's an incredible right. waste of resources to have you making right. photocopies. So that's just a, a way of thinking that is hard. We're so used to having cheap staff that we value ourselves the same way. So, you know, we would spend some, I've heard directors are spending two weeks learning how to use Photoshop or InDesign um, to to do a brochure. Because, well, we'll use that over a year, but if you just paid someone for three hours of their time to do the same amount of work that you spent two weeks on, right. and that's a minimum of those stories. I've heard way worse stories than that um, yeah. about wasting time. Go, Sarah.
4: Yeah. As a camp director, you have to know how to do so many things, mm-hmm. um, but it's impossible to think that we're an expert at so many things. So, yep. um, like, my husband's a carpenter by trade and a, building, a home builder. And so people will be like, oh, like, I'm just going to do my my kitchen I'm gonna like get some stuff from Ikea and like remodel my whole kitchen and he's always like getting those calls where someone's like so I tried it and now I need help or you know so I think that we as camp directors have to think um in the way of like we can't be an expert at everything and like we have to outsource as much as possible so we can do the the purest functions of our job as well as possible. We shouldn't be personally like I've laid floors at camp. I have fixed toilets. Like I shouldn't be doing that stuff. Like it's not going to last. It's not a good use of my time. So thinking about how do we outsource as much as possible and not get sucked into those traps of being the one person who's doing so many things. Um, Right. Charles is my successor at Algonquin, Charles Falsing. And he made a really smart hire this year. He got a really good kitchen director um, who cooked a lot from scratch. And this one hire saved him more than $10,000 in the food budget for the summer. So that's like another instance of pinching pennies, not pounds. So if Charles wants to get Hugh back as the kitchen director, I would encourage him to offer some of that savings to Hugh for a yeah. bonus or an in- increase in salary because at the end of the day, it's going to save the camp money off the bottom line. So that's just like another interesting thing when we think about staffing. We hire higher quality staff it'll save us money on supplies or food or uh what have you so right. a cool cool example
1: yep I, I think the natural next step is to go and address pricing and and see if there is um more that we can add to other than do research do a day-to-day comparison um and um with another camp to sort of to set your pricing Stuff, but um, Sarah, I'll start with you this time. What What are some of the factors you consider when setting pricing? I mean, changing pricing from year to year, or even setting pricing uh, on a new program?
4: Um, so, we did a lot of pricing work in one of our marketing classes last year. And yeah. one of the first things that we would think about is are you setting your price for acquisition or retention? So,
1: yeah. um,
4: you know, you have to obviously meet your bottom line costs. Um, For retention-wise, it's my opinion, if people love your program, um, and you have a robust scholarship program, so you're not letting people slip through the cracks, um, but if people love your program, they're not going to blink an eye at a 2%, a 5% increase. Um, They understand it. It's a cost of operation. It's just the way things are. No one is going to leave your camp because you're trying to keep up with the price of inflation or anything like that, or uh, build a new building or some of those things. Um, so that's the acquisition side of things. I think the re- I meant that's the retention side of things. On the acquisition side of things, I think that's where people get tripped up at camp because, um, you know, when people like try to do like cheap promotions or different things that can get like very confusing because you also don't want to discount your camp so much that it appears to be like too cheap. Do you know what I mean by that, Jonathan? Like, you don't want to, like, run a a promotion. And, like, I wouldn't send a kid of mine to, like, a super cheap camp. I'd be like, well, like, they don't have any staff. Like, how are they doing things? Like, what's going on? So um, you have to set your baseline price at, like, a reasonable level. And I don't think that we're going to attract campers just by offering, like, discounts or cheap rates necessarily. It has to be, like, deeper than that for a price of something like summer camp. That's not just like milk at the grocery store. Like this is an investment decision um, and not like a one-time purchase. Um,
3: Yeah, I totally agree with you, Sarah. And I, I think, I think, um, I think what you're saying is exactly right. And I think parents would rather see some capital improvement at the camp and pay more, pay a larger fee, knowing that some of that is happening or knowing that their children are getting excellent care because you hired more staff or you increase the staff pay or 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 however you're doing it to make things great for their kids right um but they would they would pay more for that not less i 100 percent agree with you
4: right and um do you guys have groupon in canada yep yes yep. oh cool i just didn't know that was like a multinational thing yeah um, And so it is interesting, like you'll see on the Summer Camp Pro's Facebook page every once in a while, someone will ask like, oh, should I run a Groupon promotion or should I run like a special? But the thing that happens when you run these deep discounts is people wait and only register during those deep discount times. So you don't want to undermine um, the established value that you've made for your camp with X price by running these deep promotional discounts. Like that's not what we're selling camp on. Mm -hmm. Um, So those people can get tripped up on those very often. Because like I never go to this one sushi restaurant in Ann Arbor unless I have a group on. Like I wouldn't do it because um, I pay full price. If I can just wait another week and get all my sushi like sixty percent off. Yeah. I, yeah. I just compared sushi to camp. That might have been a stretch. Um, but you know perfect. What I mean perfect. Like I feel like we can't we can't discount camp because it is a real awesome thing. Yeah. Um, and it takes a lot to put it on, so we can't do that to ourselves.
1: Any, any other stuff you'd add, Jonathan, in terms of pricing thinking?
3: Um, I was just thinking. I think, I think you have to take both, right? The revenue side and the expense side, and then you work back and forth with them. So we talked a fair bit about, you know, working out our expenses and getting an idea of capital, getting an idea of if we're going to give a wage increase, and then on the other side, I think for the income, we you do want to. Try to get a an estimate of the income so um i just use a simple spreadsheet i made listing our summer camps and the the, week, the weeks of the camps the cost how many campers we expect to have in each week and i try to be very realistic like if we had if we had 90 campers in that camp for the past two years there's no reason for me to expect we won't have 90 again so so i put in 90 um and then and then on an overall basis um, say we had 1,400 campers last summer and we grew by 10%. Then it's realistic to think that that something like that could happen again. So you know, I kind of work down. and then you get that number, and then it gives you a solid revenue number. And then you can make little adjustments. You can say, okay, well really, based on my expenses, I was really hoping to get $500,000 of camper revenue. And so then you then you can play with your pricing a bit and say, okay, well, if I'm gonna if those expenses are gonna be met and I want this revenue target, then I'm gonna have to increase my price by thirty dollars a camper, or I'm gonna have to have more volume of campers. So how do, how am I gonna achieve that? And it's some give and take um, thinking about your plan, or you have to cut the expense. So, right. And, it, and, it's, and then on, the other, on your other revenue items, it's almost identical, I think, where you can look at the groups that you had and you, can, you, can, you have a good idea if they're going to return or you're booking some new groups or, or what you're hoping for and you get approximate revenue for those and you say, okay, I, I think it's achievable that we're going to have, you know, $400,000 in, in whether it's rental, retreat, conference, whatever we all call it. Um, there's revenue there and then and then your other revenue streams as well you look at it and so then you get those and 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 you just see if that totals if that totals up to your um, expenses and then it's give and take after that right it's 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 saying okay, my camper revenue i'm not I'm not comfortable putting it any higher um, but I am comfortable bumping up my retreat revenue because I'm pretty sure. You know, there was one weekend there was a really empty weekend that I'm pretty sure I could fill and and so you have to think like that I think and then yeah. and then give and take. Yeah. And one other thing that Sarah made me think of that we'll often do is um we save some of our capital expense till the fall. So like most private if you're a private business you could have your year in at different times, but most not for profits have a December thirty first year end, as we do. So mm-hmm. then we'll wait until into the summer or into September when we see if we've met our budget or exceeded it. And then then we can do some of our capital spending. It's budgeted, but it kind of, you know, um, don't count our chickens before they hatch. So then right. we know that we've made the money. So then, but, but Sarah made me think of it when she was saying about getting the quotes and things because that's what I meant by kind of ongoing. I think that's so important to just continuously be working at that. And you can even ask people when they're out. Um, I'll often ask, um, you know, somebody like our, our ropes course trainer, you know, do you think this is going to be similar next year or do you think we're going to have to do something different? And when they're out doing the training, we'll always ask, so what do you think we're going to have to change or fix on this for, for next year or the year after? And I I thought that was really important, Sarah, that you're yeah. thinking, yeah. you're thinking ahead because none of that has to be surprises.
4: Right. That's my motto, like, no surprises. There's um, so many things at that we, like, can't predict, but anything that we can, like, let's just make it as predictable as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
3: then you have to have a place to put those notes, right? So for right. Sure, Yes. Your exactly. next year's budget, exactly. you, you're keeping notes all year for that budget, so that right. then it's easier. I think that's why, Travis, when you asked how long does it take, yeah. if you have information like that and notes um, ongoing, fast. it doesn't take that long. Yeah, and,
4: you know, building on pricing, for us at Algonquin, we had a lot of different um, aspects to pricing. So we had the base price for a camp, but then we'd have things like bus transportation or maybe like an add-on program, like a big trip or horseback riding. And then we'd also have even things like store prices, you know, how much mm-hmm. we're going to charge for sweatshirts. And so you can play with the base price, but I think it's also prudent to not forget your prices for um, those little things. We didn't raise our bus price for like 10 years. And then we're like, wait, why aren't we raising our bus price? Like we should be subsidizing the bus price. Right. Um, and then, you know, we jump it up a little bit. So thinking about all of my pricing is important. Um, and that, you know, can also help um, play with those goal numbers, you know, to get up to X amount of revenue dollars that you need.
1: Right. So Joe, I know that um, you folks have done a lot of thinking about pricing in the past year. What have been some of the big, um, not surprises, but some of the things that you sort of realizations that hadn't been considered before?
2: Well, I'm not sure that they hadn't been considered or or we were trying to make tier-based pricing work without increasing. Right. So if more people continually paid more in the tiers of pricing, then you wouldn't have to raise your lowest rate. The reality said we followed the $5 a a year rule, Um, 2017's rate would be somewhere around $300, and we're at $310. Um, That's $5 in increase from 2006 forward, which we haven't done. Um, So yes, the smaller increases would have gotten us to where we are now. but what we've really realized is that we're undervaluing what we do and we're, we're just done undervaluing it. We need to make sure that our message and our story get across to parents that this is a valued program. And, and the comment that some people made is that if, if, if it is only $50 more, which is a lot of money in, in, in some respects, in, in many respects, um, but if that causes you to change your camp then you're not going to camp for the right reasons. Right and, and and I think that the we feel confident that moving forward this has to be our solution which is to get back into into line and then move forward with small increases going after that. So
1: right. All right. Yeah. Very cool. Well, uh, I'm going to cut us off there. Maybe we'll come back to business stuff in the new year and have the panel back, the same panel back. There's um, some interesting stuff we didn't talk about, which bartering, which would have been a really interesting conversation, I think. So I will um, make a note. Um about that conversation and um and, and try to get Jonathan and Sarah back on to talk about business stuff but thank you to the three of you for your contributions to this and and your wisdom in it um if people have got some good stuff out of today and this part of the discussion and want to um uh, give us some feedback or let us know how that goes one of the best ways to do that is to leave us a review on itunes so if you go to camp TV slash itunes um, you can leave us a review there and that's helpful to get more listeners but also to for us to know um, how we're doing as a show uh, as we're approaching our 100th episode we're definitely going to be looking at uh, the style of the program how things work etc so any feedback and that is is Possible, helpful, and um, encouraging as well too. So we appreciate that. Uh, so therefore, I'm going to now move us on to our tool of the week.
0: Tool of the week.
1: Uh, I've asked each panelist to bring something to the table today that helps them be a better camp director. And um, Joe, I'm going to go with you first, please.
2: So, my tool of the week this week is a, a product from Levenger. And Levenger is a, they started as a, a leather craft company where they make wallets and stuff. And so um, it's a pocket briefcase, which is essentially a, a wallet that fits a, an index card size um, piece of paper so that you can take notes. You always have notes. And mine is the International Pocket Briefcase. Uh, I got it as a gift from an outgoing camp director. A few years ago I've been I'm five years into this wallet and it looks almost as new as the day I got it and Mm -hmm. it's one of those things you don't realize you use every day but I I literally use it every day and it is it's amazing they have a variety of pocket briefcases some that fit phones um, some that just have cards Uh, mine is a you know credit card three or four slots for credit cards and whatnot and and a money pouch and, and all of those things so I would highly recommend the, the Levenger International Pocket Briefcase, which costs uh, $69 US, is what the going rate is right now. So,
1: Great. Thanks, Joe.
2: Um, Joe, just in case,
1: um, since we're having trouble with your internet today, just in case um, you get cut off again, I'd like to take this time and say goodbye and thank you for joining us. Um, can you let people know how they can get in touch with you if they have follow-up questions? Yeah.
2: Yeah. So if people have follow-up questions, they can visit our camp website at campisbetter.com and you can reach me through that camp website or you can see what I'm uh, my social media, you can connect to through my own website which is yoyojoe.com, Y O Y O J O E.com. Thanks, Joe.
1: Uh Sarah, what's your tool of the week?
4: Um I brought an app that's pretty simple. It's called TurboScan. Um so I don't know you guys probably can't see it, but it just, like, turns your smartphone into a scanner. I don't think it costs more than, like, $4. Um, and I use it to scan all my business receipts. So as soon as I get them, I just scan them. The quality is fine, and then I have them sor- sorted into different sections according hmm. to my budget. And then you can email yourself a PDF of all the receipts. Um, I've also found it very helpful for even scanning, like, full documents. So it's just a great scanner device on the go um it certainly helped me stay a lot more organized
1: it's awesome thank you yeah uh jonathan yours
3: oh travis um today i want to say my tool of the week is uh my dewalt drill driver yes sometimes sometimes when i want to break from the office it's nice to go out and do something with a site manager help out and um i got a new dewalt drill this past year and it's a brushless drill and the battery lasts three to four times longer and it's such a nice drill driver and it's it's just fun to go out and use that sometimes sometimes yes. especially if you're the if you're in the office a lot it's it's important to take breaks because sometimes it can be counterproductive
1: right 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 so, that yeah, is
3: or or it's just a good investment for camps to make for their for their site manager or maintenance staff I think a good right. quality um, drill driver and one that's brushless where the battery lasts so much longer it's great to
1: have that is awesome and it is dewalt right right okay that's cool i love that pick jonathan uh, my pick is uh on a different theme i was just looking around for stuff that i had found influential and since we were being so businessy i thought i'd uh, move us with my pick just as some communication stuff um a really interesting book called 20 ads that changed the world Um, and it is 20 ads that shook the world, not changed the world. Um, it's some interesting stuff in terms about the psychology of, um, of marketing and, uh, some really good stuff there for, um, you know, things that have had a huge impact on other marketing things. So I'm always trying to think of better ways to communicate what we do at camp. One of the things i was thinking about today is how we make these decisions on spreadsheets and how they have to be communicated to people such as raising your prices or you know why you're moving to a regular increase in price when you've been avoiding it um all those things have to be communicated in some way and so uh that's just an interesting tool to to help you with some of the the psychology of how to being ineffective at communicating about camp so um, again, thank you to the panelists, Jonathan, if people have a question and want to follow up with you, what's the best way to do that?
3: Uh, through our camp website, campkintail.ca, and my email is grow at campkintail.ca. Great. And for those, uh,
1: those of you who don't know, Camp Kintail, Kintail is spelled K-I-N-T-A-I-L. And, uh, Jonathan, thanks for being on the program. We really appreciate it.
3: Thanks, Travis. It
1: was awesome to have you.
4: Sarah? Um, yeah, my website is KurtzMcKinnonCreative.com, K-U-R-T-Z-M-C-K-I-N-N-O-N, Creative. Mm-hmm. And my email and phone, et cetera, social media are all on there. So That's perfect.
1: Yeah, thanks for being here, Sarah. That's awesome. So again, we, we thank everybody for joining us. If you have, um, you want links to the tools of the week or some of these other things that we're making Matt put in as he edits, um, please do go to camphacker.tv slash podcast and, um, and you can find all the notes there and previous episodes. Uh, if you're on YouTube, we'd be really grateful if you would leave a comment below this, this video or, uh, subscribe to the channel. And, uh, all these shows, the past 95 episodes, um, they're all available for free if you uh, subscribe using your phone you'll get the next one delivered to your phone uh, for free when it comes out you don't have to keep coming back here um, we do want to take a minute and thank Matt for all his work that he does in editing these shows together when people drop out or I have to jump out of I jump out of the shot uh, for a minute because people are pounding on my door um, really grateful for all that he does and uh, and that's that's awesome. We're grateful for all the stuff he does for Camp Hacker and for the show in particular. So camphacker.tv is our address. If you have any follow-up, follow up with me, Travis at camphacker.tv, or I am at camphacker on the socials. Um, and a uh, great discussion. I look forward to many more uh, discussions with the people involved in in this show today. And thank you for the evening, friends. <laughs>
0: The Camp Hacker Podcast
2: is brought to you by Beth and Travis Allison, summer camp leadership training and marketing consultants. Thanks for listening.
4: Camp Hacker, bringing your world into focus.